Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. Good morning. We're a bit rusty because we've been away. We have. I realised that I hadn't actually been away since mum died. I hadn't had a break at all. I hadn't really no. left Sydney. Well, COVID ruined that, didn't it? It did. How was your break? Oh, look, it's not a break for me without some drama, is it? <laughs> I feel like we're back to the dramatic introductions now. Oh, God, what happened? Oh, look, I just got to the point where I was like, I really need to get away Grief has been building up. We've been so busy. Like, yeah, life was just getting a lot. Um, So I booked a few nights away down south and we had a really lovely farm stay that we found on Airbnb. This is not an ad. Um, And then... It looked gorgeous. Yeah, it was so lovely. And then the first day we kind of went out into the town, had breakfast and then um, went down to a little park that was by the the sea and... um, or playing with Layla on the playground that was there. And then it was like quite a high platform, maybe two metres, where there's a slippery dip, so a slide going down. And um, we were playing with her on that. And then literally one second, Ben went down the slide to come around to the side to help her get down. And she just fell off the side. Oh it was like a gust of wind blew her off. Like I don't even know how it happened. It happened so quickly. Um, and it's obviously every parent's worst nightmare. And she had concussion and it was really – like it was petrifying. And I picked her up off the ground. She cried at first, which is a good sign. They say kids ever um, fall and they cry. Was, it's did, a good did sign. Did she knock – like did it knock, like, knock her out for a second there? Or? No, she cried oh, straight God. away. Um, but then – I was holding her in my arms and I was just sort of like running to the road. I didn't really know what to do. And then she started getting like quite floppy and a bit daisy. I was like, oh, my God. What's going this on? This is literally like I felt like I was in a movie. And then when she got to that point where she was just not not okay, Ben was like, call the ambulance. And I was like, well, this is it. <laughs> so I called the ambulance. And then as I was calling the ambulance, I wouldn't even be able to tell them where I was. I didn't even know where I was. I was yeah. in some random beach Park. town. And – um. I saw an ambulance up on the road and I just like pegged it up to the ambulance, it was like banging on the window. There was a guy in there, I think I freaked him out. <laughs> I was like, my daughter's just fallen off the playground, like help. And he was super chill. I'm like, how can you be chill? There's this is a child right now, like help me. Um, and yeah, she was okay, but she had concussion for about half an hour. We ended up taking her to Nara Hospital, which was about, yeah, 20 something minute drive and I sat in the back with her and she just was not she was not there it was oh, really scary so worrying. and I was like trying not to let her like fall asleep because just you know you hear all those nightmare stories um but she was fine thank god um but it really just like threw me out I've got really really traumatized by it um just wanted to call my mum obviously and couldn't and then I just felt really like alone with it and all of those like worst case scenarios were going through my mind so that was my getaway but did you get some (laughs) relaxation in as well after that day I had a really strong gin and tonic that night and then I felt quite relaxed after that (laughs) but um 
Yeah, I did. I just made sure to not let it ruin the rest of the trip. She was okay. It was all dramatic for a minute there, but I just thought, you know, I need to let myself switch off from it a bit and I did that quite well. Um, Good. But yeah, bloody hell. Sounds like an absolute, like every parent's oh, nightmare. nightmare. Worst nightmare. And then you feel like a shit parent and then all of that extra baggage going with something like that. Um, but you had a lovely time. Well, you're not you? a shit parent, but... Um, Thanks. <laughs> I, I am because I fucking forgot Teddy Bear's picnic today. Oh, mate, you've oh, got to let that stuff go. I can't. Like, <laughs> what you said on our guilt podcast, just oh, accept that you are, you know, a good, good enough, enough parent. Yeah, I'm a good and enough think parent. Just, just yeah, tell yourself gotta that. Got to take my own advice. But yeah, my break was really nice, thanks. Uh, we went up to um, northern New South Wales, so um, sort of in and around the Byron area. Beautiful to, spot. So we did a road trip. We stayed a, um, overnight a couple of different spots. And do you know what? Just getting out of Sydney made all the difference. Um, just a change of scenery. Um, so had like stopped in this old lady town. It's called Warhope and it's like a population of like 10,000 people, but they've got 12 charity shops or op shops as we call them over here. Your dream. So I had a great time. <laughs> um, and I've been doing some exercise. So, you know, look out. help with my grief. I've been doing um, PT sessions with a friend of ours who's a personal trainer, Gab. And um, it's been really good. Like, I feel like, you know, because I've gone to the gym over the years, but I don't really know how to like... And you were doing your running and stuff as well, weren't yeah, you, in the mornings? Yeah, and that but... was really helping. But I thought, like, I actually probably need something that's going to be a bit more of a routine. So mm. so I've been doing that and learning all, you know, the ropes of the gym. And I'm actually finding, like, the days that I do go and I really, like, smash it out. Pumping iron. Pumping iron. <laughs> I feel good. I yeah. feel good. Like, I feel a real lift in my mood. So... That's definitely like a little griefy coping sort of um, strategy that I've put into place since we l- last recorded a podcast and I feel good about that. Yeah, it really helps, doesn't it? Like I know people say, you know, exercise is great for your mental health, but it does lift your mood and gives you energy. Absolutely. And you've been doing some yoga, haven't you? I have. I sort of got into a bit of a funk with my mental health and fitness and was feeling not very confident um, and good about myself and... I know when I get into those funks, I, I can stay there for a while, but I was like, mm-hmm. I can't afford to be here. Um, so I ended up getting back into yoga. Getting back into means I've done two sessions. <laughs> I bought a new yoga mat. Um, but yeah, I started to do hot yoga again. And it's something I was doing before I had Layla and then just didn't get back into it because life got too hard. Um, but I love yoga. It's so great. It just, yeah, it really clears my head makes me feel calm, makes me get back into my body. Um, so it's been really good. Good. Look at us. Look at us go. Damn. <laughs> it's yeah. good to take in, you know, those strategies that are going to really help with your grief. I think exercise yeah. is such a big one because I've really <clears throat> struggled with my grief recently. I've had a bit of a regression Um And I guess it kind of ties in quite nicely with our guest today. So we're going to be talking to Hope Edelman, who is a, I guess, the foremother of grief literature. And she's going to be on talking about her book, The After Grief, which basically, you know, looks at kind of after that initial stage. What does the kind of long, you know, the rest of your life with grief look like? The long arc of loss. The long arc of loss, as she calls it. And I think I've kind of maybe, I feel like I've, I've had a really griefy spell and we actually 
I feel like I maybe entered like a new phase after the initial kind of, you know, it, it's been a year and a half, that shock and the sort of newness of it. It's talk, been really, really painful. Talk us through what the differences are for you, Sal. So I don't think I've quite hit where you're at yet, but I'm always just a few months behind. <laughs> so it's good to kind of know where, in a few I'm, months. Yeah, yeah. where I'm coming into, but you have been quite down at times lately. Do you want to just talk us through what it feels like for you now? I think it's just like the massive um, absence, really. Like I just feel her absence so much and and, and that's painful. Mm. I'm going to get upset. But yeah, just it's just it's it's lonely, you know? I think because my mum was like someone that I always spoke to about everything. Just not having her around, it, I just I just feel her absence so yeah. deeply at the moment and and then it's that kind of coming into the two years like her her, her two year anniversary will be towards the end of the year and and I think it's just that 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 feeling of like well this is it now without them and that sort of not real like maybe it's the the realization I think you know when you're sort of in the early days of grief and and maybe even for some people because everyone is so different it might be something they experience you know years into their grief but that shock and when you're like oh hang on a minute they're dead Mm. and you sort of like is that even real you know that like oh is that actually are they actually dead I feel like I now I don't have that as much it's more just that like deep yearning and missing Mm. I got me crying (laughs) I think you know you think the first year is going to be the hardest you know trying to come to terms with it but then the shock kind of helps I think sometimes yeah. and then when you come into that second year that when the shock wears off and this is actually an episode that we're going to do um, a little bit down the line talking about you know that stage when the shock starts to wear off and what that feels like but it is entering a new phase and it does feel very final and it's very very hard to accept and get your head around and it is it's just a longing isn't it like it's a deep yearning for just connecting with them or wanting to talk to them and um it's oh it's hard <laughs> it really is and like we had I mean we had a sesh didn't we on a grief sesh <laughs> we had we had a, a virtual <laughs> sorry guys don't me we had a virtual grief sesh together <laughs> so we were just talking and I think I just let it all out didn't I and then and then Ben came in <laughs> and you were like Oh, we're just having a grief sesh. Like, <laughs> fuck off. It was like, do you want me to order lunch? I was like, shut the door. We're crying together. Like on fucking Zoom. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. But I think as well, like, I'm 35 in a f- next month. Fucking hell. Um, and I'm just at a stage in my life where there's a lot going on, like, and there's a lot of decisions to be made. And it was, you know, a time... I would talk to my mum all the time about things and just I really feel not having that support there. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I just feel her absence more than ever. So I think, you know, and I've been like crying all the time. Like when I, the days that I do work, like I'm just at my desk, like fucking just working and weeping. like <laughs> Multitasking. And like I find as well, I know we've we've spoken about this before, but before I go to bed, it comes out as well. Mm. And I know that that's because I need to process it earlier on in the mm. day. I could, but like I, 
it just fucking hurts, doesn't it? Like it aches. Yeah. Like and it's just that like I've been feeling the ache recently. And I'm sure there's lots of listeners who are all, you know, at different stages of their grief journey. And I know that some people have have reached out to us to say, you know, actually the two year mark was harder for me because, you know, you kind of realised that it's it's final, you know, and that's it. You're now navigating the rest of your life without them. So I think maybe that's what I'm going through at the moment. That sort of realisation and that sort of pain of it just being ongoing really I I know I had that at the start as well but it was perhaps like shrouded with other elements Mm. like you know the shock and then also just dealing with things and yeah like god it's a funny beast isn't it grief like as we all know um it can kind of rear its head at different stages you know we we've called it a regression but it, it really I don't think is a regression I don't think you do regress in your grief that's so true it's gonna evolve and it's always there and even if you do feel like you're in the trenches again it doesn't mean that you've gone backwards that's good and I need to tell myself that as well it's just part of the process and knowing that it's all it's going to change again you know and you're going to get back to that strong place that you potentially have got yourself to um but just trusting that it's gonna yeah it's going to change again And I think it's allowing yourself to be vulnerable as well. Like I wasn't sure like, you know, how much to to say in this intro about how I've really been doing. But I think it's allowing yourself to be vulnerable with others that can really help you in your healing as well. Like, for example, you know, letting it all out to you. It's so helpful to have this friendship and to be able to be vulnerable and feel understood. Yeah. You know, and because... You, you don't want to tell other people that aren't going through it because you know they're not going to get it and then you just feel like you're going to cry in front of them and then get embarrassed and it's hard. Like it's so important to have that support and conscious of people that find it difficult to have that. So I do hope that, you know, by having a resource like a podcast to listen to that it helps you feel less alone too. Like mm. the things that you're feeling are normal and perhaps you're in the second year and you've been feeling like you've regressed. Um it's all normal Mm. and yeah it's just telling yourself that as well isn't it when you're in the depths of it and you're sort of feeling really flat griefy griefy as fuck (laughs) yeah um it's funny actually my husband coined another term because sometimes when I feel griefy I like will go like and you know buy something like go (laughs) and do a little like online shop and he's like oh you're having a grief shop (laughs) (laughs) I've had so many of those lately oh my god yeah Yeah, I got these new pants I got on but I think they look like chef's pants they're like gingham aren't they like gingham pants but I was like yep they look like chef's pants they look nice (laughs) they They, were a grief shop griefy shop pants they're a grief shop yeah (laughs) (laughs) my whole wardrobe is a grief shop at the moment (laughs) oh so (sighs) I guess the way that I've been feeling is something that we talk to hope about in this chat so um we talked to her about her journey with losing her mum when she was in her teens and how that kind of shaped her life and you know she has become one of the kind of leaders in the grief literature space so I remember when we first started this podcast and we were looking at like you know aiming high with our guests and do you remember well it's like the first book that like we got drawn to motherless daughters you buy it when your mum dies you find motherless daughters on the internet and it's actually how we ended up meeting yes um through that book so it's got quite a beautiful story to it how hope ended up on the podcast but we were like 
Imagine one day getting Hope Edelman on the podcast. Yeah, and here we are. So massive milestone. She's such a lovely, amazing, inspirational woman. And if it wasn't for her writing that book, we wouldn't have met. So it's kind of a bit of a... It was a big deal for us, wasn't it? Sitting down and talking with her. We fangirled pretty hard at the start. (laughs) So I don't even know. She was probably like, okay, calm down, girl. She probably gets it all the time, doesn't she? She's like a grief celeb. Yeah, yeah, Um, she literally is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she was so lovely. And... I think this um, discussion is pretty poignant for kind of where we both are at in our grief at the moment, especially with, you know, kind of the after grief. And we've really hoped that you guys take something away from it as well. And we'll link to her book in the show notes as well and any other resources that we think might be helpful. But should we should we jump to the convo? Yes. Enjoy the chat, guys. It's such an honor to speak to you today. We actually wouldn't have met if it wasn't for your book um really yes like yeah we've honestly. got a story <laughs> so when a couple of months after I lost my mum I heard about your book and I googled it and googling it brought me to the page of motherless daughters Australia and I know you're connected with them as well um and they had a private um, support group, so a Facebook support group that I joined. And through that, Imogen and I both attended a meetup that they organised and became Which was friends. Some, something that we had never done in our lives. We've never gone to a support group before for anything. But, you know, as you know, when your mother dies, it just throws you into this really unknown kind of traumatic place in your life. So, yeah, I, I just was grasping at anything that I could to feel connected to somebody that knew what I was going through. And, yeah, met Sal and then it was your birth we went for lunch for your birthday or something wasn't it and then I, I had brought your book and yes. it was such a lifesaver for me and then I said Sal I've got motherless daughters you've got to read it I'll give it to you when I'm finished so then I gave it to Sal and then here we are yes so thank you and your amazing book because <laughs> if it wasn't for googling your book that day we might not be here yeah. and incredible story was it the lack of grief literature um out there at the time you know in the early 90s that spurred you on to write motherless daughters can you talk about sort of that process and how the book came to be i was um looking for the book motherless daughters i couldn't find it anywhere i needed it as a teenager and i went to the library i went to the bookstore looking for a book about girls who lose their moms Mm -hmm. and there were no books for teenagers. All the books assumed that you would be an adult when your mom died. And after the book was published, I guess you became a bit of a leader in this sort of new kind of grief movement. The tide was turning. There was a new movement um, of sort of grief, um, you know, thinking around how we approach grief and how we process grief. How did that impact your own grieving process? Well, I think, you know, writing the book, affected my grieving process because it required that I go back and revisit the story that I've been telling myself all those years and I needed to update and revise it and to me that's one of the most healing acts we can do as a bereaved person Um, by the time the book came out there was a large response to it and many requests for support groups women wanted to meet other women who lost their mothers they felt isolated they had maybe had no friends who lost a mother when they were young or didn't know anyone except their sister. And so um, 
what I think, in retrospect, I started doing with a group of women in New York as we formed support groups, was we started bringing the social aspect of grieving back to the forefront. Because as I see it, grief has five elements. There is the emotional, which we think of first, you know, like crying and lamenting. The psychological, which is when we're trying to make sense of what happened and tell a story about it. There's the physical, you know, our bodies respond in certain ways. We might have sleeplessness. We might have heart palpitations. We might have, have trouble eating. Um, there's the spiritual, which is often lumped together with religion. But I think that losing someone that you love is a blow to the spirit. And it raises a lot of existential questions, too. Like, where did they go? Will I ever see them again? I think of that as part of the spiritual. Um, but then the fifth is the social. And we are tribal beings. We need to gather together to comfort each other at times of distress. I don't think we were ever meant to grieve alone. But in the 20th century, for much of the 20th century, grief theory was about, you know, getting over it and moving on and doing that mainly by yourself. You know, grief was perceived to be this interior individual process, which is really different from how it was seen in any other era, you know, all the way up in, in, through until the, until the 20th century. So we were helping women grieve in community and just feel not so alone, just to give women a sense of solidarity, you know, a sense that they are not alone. Every Tuesday now, I offer calls, Zoom calls from motherless daughters, and women are dialing in from all over the world just to meet other women who lost their mothers. And the more women that are on the call, the higher your chances of finding someone who lost a mom at the same age as you mm -hmm. from the same cause. Um, you know, we tend to have a lot of women on the call who were teenagers when their moms died of cancer. Just demographically or statistically, um, that's the most common. Mm -hmm. But there are women there who lost moms to all causes of death at all ages, and they have an opportunity to talk to and meet each other. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's really what they were craving was the sense that I need to do talk about my grief and I need to share stories of my mom with other people who will listen with curiosity and compassion and not with judgment or pity. When I read your book, Hope, I cannot even begin to tell you how much of a relief it was for me um, personally. Uh, my mum died by suicide and I felt so much shame and guilt and reading your book, you you touch on suicide loss a lot and it was just, I just remember just breathing this huge sigh of relief. I'm not the only one, you know, this is common and I had no idea. So thank you for including, you know, all types of loss in your book. It's made a huge impact on my healing as well. You're absolutely not alone. I've worked with a number of women who have lost mothers to suicide. And um, before COVID, I was leading retreats in person. I believe you know you met someone who went to came to a motherless daughter's retreat in California yes. from Australia. Correct. And yeah, women have come from all over the world to these retreats. Also, um, from the UK, from Canada, from Iceland, from Denmark, and. Um, so we would meet in person and we would sit in a circle of 26 women and share our stories. And it's a very, very, very powerful experience to do that. Um, so I, you know, I'm hoping we're going to get back to the in-person meeting soon. But in the meantime, we're able to do it virtually. But what we find, interestingly, is that women who don't know each other, come from all over the place, tend to sign up for groups and clusters. I can't figure out how this happens. I've stopped really asking questions anymore. But we might have one retreat where there are five women 
who were teenagers when their moms died in a car accident. And then the next retreat, maybe there'll be one woman who lost a mom in a car accident, but there will be six women under the age of 12 who lost a mom to suicide. And I don't know how that happens, how those signups occur. We start looking at the spreadsheets as women register, and it's just remarkable every time. But then those women, especially in those little clusters, really don't feel alone. I mean, we had one we had one retreat where there were three women who had lost their mothers to homicide. And that's, you know, not a common form of mother loss. It, mothers do die that way. But, I mean, if we even had one at a retreat, you know, we would usually have one or zero. But we had one retreat where there were three, and they stayed up really late all night talking on the front porch because they'd never met another woman who had been young when they lost when she lost her mom to homicide. So it's incredibly healing just to hear your thoughts and your fears and your challenges and your triumphs I'm mirrored back to you in the speech of others who have experienced something similar. Absolutely. And that is what drew Sally and I together. Our, our mums died suddenly. So I thought, you know, it wasn't by suicide, but Sally knows what it's like to have your mother there one minute and then the next minute she's just not there anymore. So I think it definitely helps to be connected with somebody that knows what you're going through. It is, actually. in the Motherless Daughters online course, um, the third module is about cause of loss. And it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. You know, if you if for people who purchase the course, the first module everyone does in the second one, you choose the module for the age you were when your mom died. And in the third module, there's one for sudden loss and one for long-term illness because they are so different. And we want I wanted to address them differently because the long-term effects are not the same. And then in the fourth module, everyone comes back together for the same module again. I'd love to hear your thoughts, Hope, on so what are the – the differences with say you know the different developmental stages of when your mum dies I know they can be very different as well so if you lose your mother when you're young compared to say when you lose your mother when you're in your early 30s like Sal and I is quite a different experience on its own as well yeah it's very different um I tend to divide it into childhood adolescence and young adulthood but we can subdivide that even more especially in childhood I mean if there's a family and let's say there's three children and their ages three, seven, and 12. Those are completely different developmental stages. And those kids have to be uh, addressed in, in different ways. You know, a three-year-old doesn't even understand what death is yet. Mm-hmm. They're living so much in the present to them. Someone was here and now she's gone. And they're now they're afraid that other people are going to leave them now that they know that this can happen. Um, they're thinking, you know, very much in the present, maybe not even like, who's going to bring me to school tomorrow, but just like, who's going to give me dinner now, you know? And the seven-year-old has a much more um, mature concept of what death means and understands it means that someone's not coming back and that this happens to everyone, but that's terrifying for a child to learn. And they don't have the emotional bandwidth really or maturity to handle that. So those are kids in the age seven to 11 range are the ones most likely to sort of suppress their feelings and grieve later. But the 12-year-old is in a very different developmental stage, certainly intellectually, and um, can understand abstract thinking, which allows them to project into the future and be thinking, wow, you know, um, my mom's not going to be here for my high school graduation. My mom's not going to be here when I get married or have kids. So that's a whole different, you know, morning morning experience for the, the older one. And then if you're further into your teenage years, it, it may be that you were engaged in um, 
push and pull relationship with your mom or maybe didn't have a particularly good relationship with her at that time because you were pressing against her to perform your own identity, which is one of the tasks of adolescence. I work with a lot of women who feel very guilty about how they treated their mother in the time before she died because they were just trying to be a normal teenager Mm -hmm. and it got all mixed up and scrambled with their mom's illness and, and death. And then if you're a young adult, you probably are having more of a woman-to-woman relationship with your mom. You depend on her in different ways. She fills multiple roles in your life. It's the time when you would be able to think of her more as a peer than as a mother, and you lose that. And you often see your friends getting to have that, and you don't. So does any of this ring true for any of you at the ages that you were when your mom died? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because... Another one of your books, which I found hugely helpful, was Motherless Mothers. So I had a nine-month-old daughter when my mum died and that got ripped away from me. So, yeah, I'm definitely in that stage where I had a great relationship with my mum. We were more like peers, um, but I did look to her a lot for support for guiding me to be a mum. And, um, yeah, that's been really difficult. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, sure, because you're not you're mourning not just the loss of you, 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 you know, missing out on your mom's advice or expertise or support, but you're also mourning your child missing that maternal grandmother in their life and your mom not getting able to spend time with her grandchild. So that's yes. like a triple bereavement my, my, experience. My biggest trigger is grandmothers <laughs> I can't I cannot look at grandmothers in the street anywhere I go it's just that's my biggest trigger within my grief that's yeah it feels like the the biggest loss for me totally get it I was the one who had who petitioned the preschool to stop calling it grandparents day oh good yes my two daughters only had one living grandparent and she lived 8,000 miles away so they never had a grandparent there. And, you know, some kids had two grandparents there. And 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 I said, it's really, you know, you really need to take into consideration that some of us actually have lost our parents and that this is a, a hard day for us who don't have anyone. And so now they call it grandparents and special friends day or something special like that. Special friends. <laughs> special friends day. Well, Good on you, though. Yeah, that's amazing. My sister would come and my kids loved it because she's a cool aunt. So I don't think they felt like they were missing out on anything. But I, I think they do wish that they had had more time or any time with their grandparents. There's like a whole layer of the family that they really didn't get to experience or interact with. Coming back to your latest book, The After Grief, the book really aims to debunk the idea that we simply get over grief. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Um, the introduction is called Getting Over, Getting Over It. <laughs> I love because, that. Yeah. Great. Because that, that's a question a lot of us hear, like, aren't you over it yet? God, no. it's been four years over it yet? And I always say, what do you mean by over it? Like, how are you imagining someone who's over it would look or act? Like, does that mean I'll never think about my mom or never talk about my dad again? I mean, what does getting over it mean? That I'll never tear up, you know, occasionally when I'm talking about them? Well, then I'd have to stop loving them. And I, I'm not, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, have people think I haven't gotten over it, whatever that means. I think, you know, there's this cultural imperative to have something called closure or resolution or acceptance. I don't even really know what any of those things are. I think you can maybe have a feeling of acceptance at a certain point. It's like a train station that you arrive at and then you depart from and then you come back to, and you know, it's like a hub 
but I don't think of it as a final destination, you know, end of the line, because our stories are always changing and growing. We're learning new information about people who died, or we're reaching new insights ourselves as we reach new and, and different planes of maturity. Like, you know, I really grieved my mother when my first daughter was born. So my mother died when I was 17. My daughter was born when I was 33. And um, that's 16 years, right? People would think I should be over it by then. And you'd think if anyone was going to be over it, it'd be me because I'd been traveling around the world talking about mother loss, right? <laughs> and so um, I sort of like held it together a lot during the pregnancy and I knew kind of what I was feeling. But I was just completely unprepared for that wave of grief that that came over me when I was standing alone in my bedroom with this little screaming infant and didn't know what to do. She had colic, which was oh god, yes, my little, daughter had colic. Her own little slice of hell, and <laughs> so I didn't know what to do, and I felt so inept, and I could not have grieved that at seventeen. There's no way I would have been able to grieve not having my mother there when my child was born. And I couldn't even grieve it during my pregnancy because I hadn't felt that urge for her in the same way. And also I'd look at my daughter and think, she's a descendant of my mother, you know, and she doesn't get to know her. And that, and this would have been my mother's first grandchild, too. She probably would have been so excited. So there was all of that. And um, and it was intense, you know. I am talking with OBGYN from time to time and saying, if you have a woman presenting with what you think is postpartum depression, please look at her medical chart. Please see if her mother died when she was young because you might be confusing a grief reaction with postpartum depression. They look very much the same. That is so true. Yeah, because, yeah, you'd easily get diagnosed with, um, yeah, postpartum depression, but it's probably grief. If you're sad and weepy and I mean, unless you can articulate that you're missing your mom because she died, but even then you may get medicated for depression when really what you need is the support of a community who can help you work through those feelings and talk about it. I mean, postpartum psychosis is something completely different, but postpartum depression, I think is often confused with a grief response. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I was having a grief response and not postpartum depression. Um, I wasn't diagnosed because I, I was pretty sure that's what I was having. But I do think if I'd gone into an OBGYN's office and explained my symptoms, then, um, you know, because a lot of people think they are over it by now. So they wouldn't even think to tell the OBGYN that maybe it's because their mom's not there. And I think that translates across the board to, you know, not only having a child and having that response, but just generally life events. And, you know, I, I remember not so long ago going, going to my doctor and I know I am still early on in my grief journey, but saying like, I feel depressed, but then I know I'm grieving. So do I need to take medication? I don't know. I need some guidance. And my doctor was like, you are, you are just you're grieving this is grief like the the is so similar in so many ways you know and it can be so confusing because you know you are weepy all the time and you feel really low and all these things that you associate with being depressed but then also it's grief and it can I think mm -hmm. it sometimes can be can be confusing but it's great that you are raising awareness of that uh, for women you know um after they've had a baby because I'm sure there is so, like it, it must be I am like petrified to have another baby hope I don't know if this is a normal thing but mm -hmm. I have got one child now and just the thought of 
trying to be a mom again without my mom just seems so overwhelming for me and it's become a bit of an issue. You have time to build the team around you to help you. You know, women often say to me, I don't want to have a child without my mom. Mm. So I, I'm really ambivalent about whether or not to have a child. And sometimes I say, depending on the client, but you're imagining what it would be like, like to have the baby here today mm. and your mom not here. Like you're imagining what that would be like right now. But yeah. it's good or 10 months at a minimum before you are, you know, your, your infant is here and your mother's not. So in those nine or 10 months, there's an awful lot that you can do to build a team and prepare so that you, that mitigates that feeling of, um, of loss or absence. Um, and there are ways to also bring your mom into the pregnancy, into the birth. Did you name your first child after your mom? Oh no, because your mom was no, still alive. When yeah. Passed. She was nine months old, but that would be a nice idea. Both of my children are named after my mother. My, my older daughter after her first name and my younger daughter after her middle name. And, what was um, your mom's name, Hope? So my mom's name is Marsha. Her name was Marsha Evelyn. And so my daughters are named Maya and Eden. Beautiful. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely, that resonates with me as well. Like um, the year that my mum died, my husband and I were trying. Um, and then since she's died, I've just shut it down. I'm, I'm not interested because I just don't know if I could cope with being becoming a mum without my mum around. So, yeah, so that's some really... Um, valuable advice that you share there on, on reframing the way that you think about it. And I also say to women, cause you know, a lot of young women come in and say the same thing. And I often say to them, there are lots of good reasons not to have children. So many. Like, number one, maybe you don't, <laughs> maybe you don't like, or maybe you don't want your life to change, right? These are good reasons not to have children. But if the only reason that you're not having a child is because your mom won't be there to help you, I would really encourage you to do it anyway, um, if that if that's truly the only reason, because what you will get from that mother-child relationship is that so many pieces of your mother will come back to you, and you'll feel her there in ways that she's not there now, and that can be so enormously healing. Wise words. In your book, The After Grief, you talk about um, the grief trinity, so new grief, old grief and then new old grief could you just talk us through those mm-hmm. we've already touched on some of it mm-hmm. new grief is i think is really a fresh grief that is um that is directly uh, related to the a person who just died mm-hmm. you know someone dies and we are in active grief because that person is no longer here with us in the physical world mm-hmm. and we miss them and we wish to say we're back old grief is a present day reaction to a loss in the past. So it might be like on Mother's Day, if you're feeling sad because your mom died a few years ago, or um, her birthday, um, or the holiday season, they tend to be cyclical. Old grief tends to be cyclical, show up again on the calendar. Sometimes we're aware and we know it's coming. Sometimes it really surprises us um, because we're not, you know, we have an internal calendar that keeps track, but maybe we're not paying attention to the dates. And sometimes it really blindsides us, like it's what's called a sneak attack. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Sofer at Modern Loss gave me that term, sneak attack, meaning that you're just walking by like a department store perfume counter and you smell your mother's perfume and it's like a gut punch, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you see somebody wearing a shirt and from the back they look like your brother and he had the same shirt, you know, that kind of thing. But then there's a category called new old grief, which I find really 
fascinating. It's when you encounter an old loss in a new way. And what I described about missing my mother as a grandmother was an example of new old loss when my daughter was born, because now I was grieving for my mother again, but I was grieving for her in a totally new way. And I couldn't grieve that until I got there. So these are usually transitional moments, like what graduations and weddings and becoming a parent or divorce or getting a job or losing a job. But they also, it, they also arrive, new, new, old grief, new old grief can also arrive with what are known as age correspondence events. So when you reach the age your mom was when she died and then pass it, that is an amazingly significant transition for motherless daughters to become older than your mother got to be. And also for your child to reach the age that you were when your mother died is another big one. And we, we don't really have any culturally acknowledged ways to mark the occasion. But now at the aftergrief.com, there's a rituals page. And there's PDFs that people can print out. And it was um, co-created with a company that creates ceremonies and groups of motherless daughters. We created rituals for a death anniversary, especially the first anniversary, Mm -hmm. and also for reaching and passing your mother's age at time of death. A series of like a ceremony, a series of rituals you can go through yourself or with others so that you can give that occasion the kind of um, profundity that it, it, you know, that it deserves because we feel it as a very profound event. And it's hard to know what to do on those on those days as well. So that sounds like a really valuable resource and we'll link it in our show notes. It's so fascinating. And I think you do, yeah, I guess once you hit that age that your parent was when they died, mm. you grieve for them. Mm. You know, you grieve for what they miss out as well. My mom was 42 when she died. She was very young. Wow, that is so, so young. 40, 41 for me was like, wow, I'm almost as old as my mom. And then at 42, it was like, oh my God, she was so young. Like, this is really young. You know, when I was 17, I was like, oh, she's old. She went to college. <laughs> you know, I was like, I thought she's done all these things that I haven't, you know, that are far in my future. So 42 to me seemed old. And then I got to 42 and I thought, wow, this is really, really young to die. And then, uh, but 43 was even weirder, getting older than my mother. Because then in my mind, she was no longer like older and wiser than me. It was this incredible shift that occurred in me internally. I could only think of her that way if I remained 17. And so now she's younger than me in my mind. And and that's just bizarre. And then it would have been so strange with your daughters. Have they turned the age that you were when your mum died? Yeah, see, that would have been bizarre as well. You would have, they probably would have felt so young to you. Both of them. Well, I raised them to be pretty independent, and I think I subconsciously did that so that they would not be as lost or as naive as I was at 17. Um, but, um, you know, what I noticed was that when my youngest turned 17, I had this response that I wasn't expecting, and I sort of felt like, oh, my God, that's it. I'm done. She doesn't need me anymore. She doesn't need a mother anymore because I managed, you know, from that age onward without a mom. And uh, my husband at the time was like, what are you kidding? Like she FaceTimes you four times a day. Of course she still needs you. And both of my daughters, you know, one of them just called while we were on the, while we were on this podcast. So, you know, they still are in touch with me and they still need me, but it was this really deep sense of 
she's going to go out in the world on her own now and manage without me at 17 because she doesn't need a mother anymore because I didn't have a chance to need a mother anymore at 17. Or if I did, I, I didn't have one, you know, who, who was there for me. Yeah. And Hope, you have helped so many women around the world to navigate the loss of their mother, you know, through your writing, your speaking and the workshops that you hold through motherless daughters and has, has turning your loss into something so powerful and so meaningful helped you in your own grief to heal? Do you think? I think so. I mean, it's a, it's a very classic example of what's known as post-traumatic growth, which is using loss as a springboard for personal growth that can um, also go out, help you go out in the world and and do better things for yourself and others. My mother was a very altruistic woman. She volunteered a lot, her time, her energy, her musical skills. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I never intended to be a service provider doing online courses or coaching. I'm also a certified grief and loss coach, but I love this work. I mean, I, I've watched women's lives change in front of me, and um, I and they've watched each other's lives change too, and they have taken part in helping each other change. And I feel like that's that's a gift, like an honor to be part of that. I don't think it's what I do. I, I think fifty percent of what I do is just like book the retreat site and have the women get there, because it's, the magic really occurs when they're there together. But then we do have a program that we follow. And so, yeah, it has helped me. You know what it's done? It's helped me make meaning out of my yes. mother's loss. Because yeah. And a 42-year-old woman dying of breast cancer and leaving three school-age children behind, that's just completely unacceptable. Mm. And so at least I can make some meaning of it and say, well, you know, my mom died, but it spurred me to write this book, which then created a movement, which then helped all these women. So something good came out of something really tragic. What you've created, Hope, is just absolutely incredible and you've helped so many women, us included. You're just amazing. What you've done is just amazing. Inspirational. You are. Because I, I agree with you, Hope. Like When my mum died, I just thought this cannot be it. Like this mm. can't just be – someone's whole life is just feels like it's for nothing and it's like – a huge driving force behind the podcast for Sal and I is to try and make meaning of our mum's death as well and and try and you know have a legacy to that they can live on through and and just just to make something out of something so awful I think it's really important to do right and you know sometimes when I'm talking at retreats about that no one is trying to take away anybody's sadness or tragedy it's real but let's create an alternative equally true narrative which is Probably some good things came out of your loss over time. You can trace them. You know, my mother died and that made this happen and that made this happen. And maybe those couple of things are still pretty harmful or hurtful, but eventually keep tracing it. You'll get to something good. Mm. And, you know, what I say sometimes is that, well, you know, my mother died when I was 17 and we're all here today getting to know each other. Because if she hadn't died, I wouldn't have written that book. And if I didn't write that book, you wouldn't have found it. And if you didn't find that book, you wouldn't know there were retreats. And if you didn't know there were retreats, you wouldn't be here with 25 other women who are now going to be like your sisters forever. If you didn't write that book, we wouldn't be sitting here. Isn't that a mental thought? It really is. Because it's such a mental thought. We kind of owe this all to you, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just call it the Hope Edelman podcast. Yeah. 
I do have a, I do have a little pug named after me though. Someone named their dog after me after coming to a retreat, which really? I think is the cutest thing. That's lovely. Yeah. Adorable. And last question from us, Hope. If you could give one piece of advice for those navigating the after grief, what would it be? That there is no right or wrong way to do this. However, you're grieving right now is right for you. It's your body knows what you need. Your spirit knows what it needs. Um, do try to reach out and find others who can sit with you and hold space for you who may have experienced a major loss of their own and understand that it's not something we get over very quickly. But, you know, there, if there's a hundred people in a room, there's a hundred different ways to grieve. So don't hang out with the people who are judgmental and critical and tell you how they think it should be done mm. because they don't know. They don't like for you hang out with the people who say, yes, this is what you're going through right now. I wish I could help. You know, I'll just sit with you, sit with you, you know, tell me about your mom. Tell me, tell me about what's this like for you? What are you feeling? You know, curiosity and compassion go a long way. Judgment and criticism shut us down. So, you know, try to choose the company that will give you that curiosity and, and compassion because it's going to take however long it takes for you to start feeling like that really acute phase is winding down. And when it does, that morning when you wake up and it's not the first thing you think of or the first time you laugh and don't feel guilty, you're entering the after grief. And the after grief is the, the phase that's going to last for the rest of your life. It's where you carry that loss and the memory of your loved one forward. Hope, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today. I feel so lucky. I'm so, really, really lucky. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Hope. And I think we will take a lot from this conversation in our own grief journey as well. So thank you so much. It's been an honour. When I bring the retreats to Sydney, which I'm hoping to do in 2022 or 23 at the latest, I will let you know. In the meantime, everything that I've talked about is at motherlessdaughters.com. Very simple. Perfect. And we'll link everything in the show notes and we'll be up front and centre at the retreat. We'll be there. <laughs> Bells on. <laughs> Thank you, Hope. See you there. Bye, Hope. I'm so so happy that we got to speak to her. She's an inspirational lady. How amazing. And to think that, yeah. We'd never get hope on the podcast and Here dreams come true. So aim high, guys. Aim high. Yeah, so exciting. So, guys, don't forget, if you haven't already, to sign up to our newsletter on our website. It hits your inbox every fortnight on a Sunday. And we've also got our very exciting panel discussion happening at Vivid Sydney this year. You can find out about tickets on our website. The link is in our bio on Instagram. It's taking place on August the 8th. Um, we've got spots available, yep. but they're running out fast. So. Tickets are limited, so and it's a one-off event. So, yeah, definitely get amongst that. Hope to see you there. And until next time, guys. Take care. Thank you.